This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Marginal, and the author is Susie Worley Larkin. And Suze joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Suze. Hi, Steve. How are you? Well, I'm great. Great to have you with us. Uh, I want to read some things you've written about your book, just a few statements. You say this, in Marginal... Susie Worley Larkin explores the world of breast cancer victims and their loved ones. A collection of first-person fictional narratives, Marginal follows members of a weekly breast cancer support group as they express their struggles, explore their emotions, reveal their souls, describe their past choices, and clear their consciousness. Also, you say this, a person who placed a review of the book on Amazon.com hit the nail on the head. Marginal, real thought-provoking for today's issues, tied in with those who know someone who has had cancer. A real clever intertwining of characters who are battling not only health care issues, but facing society rules as well. So this is much more than just a look at breast cancer, and you do it in a fictional way. What prompted you writing this book, Suze? Because of my role in healthcare, I discovered that our country lacks for providing aftercare for breast cancer survivors and uh, caregivers in general. So as I started to discover some of the obstacles that cancer victims and their families uh, were dealing with, it became clear to me that many of the obstacles are similar challenges that everyone in our nation is facing, whether you have cancer or not. So then I proceeded to write this book to combine everybody. To our unite would be a better word. And you're a licensed instructor to assist uh, cancer victims. I actually teach a Labed Healthy Steps exercise program for breast cancer survivors and women or men that are currently going, battling breast cancer. And what that exercise class does is reduce lymphedema because that is a common symptom that breast cancer survivors have once they're diagnosed. So your book has a broad appeal. It's uh, more than just the breast cancer victim. The, The book is going to appeal to a lot of people. There are a variety of controversial issues brought to the forefront as characters discuss their obstacles that they are facing every day. So I think that everyone in our country, whether they have cancer or not, could probably identify with at least one character in that book and the controversial issue that they discuss. Now you have some strong messages that you want your readers to take away uh, from your book. One main message that I would really uh, like the reader to take away from the book is 
that despite our differences, we need to come together as a nation and cease violence. Uh, we need to stop judging others and accept people as they are. As a country, people must treat one another equally despite their personal choices. If people continue to judge, we not only make other people's lives marginal, but you can make your own life marginal as well. And that is the concept that I hope the readers take from this book. Tell us about some of the characters uh, highlighted in your book and the reason you uh, use them. Well, all of the chapters discuss issues that are relevant to what is occurring in our country and world today. So it is very hard to focus on just one scene or chapter. However, uh, I picked two chapters to bring to the forefront. One chapter titled The Infamous Barbara suggests to the reader that maybe our country's, country's media focuses a little too much on perfectionism and the hype of Hollywood rather than our country's soldiers maintaining our freedom. And, you know, maybe that is why reality shows are really popular right now because I some people think that maybe if they obtain at least one minute of fame on TV regardless what they do on TV they will be happier the character Mikkel is associated with this chapter and struggles with these issues as a professional photographer and he's trapped in the limelight of photographing models while his wife battles breast cancer due to an, a, a breast enlargement procedure. And one of the questions that's raised is, did she feel inadequate to Mikkel's models and felt that she needed bigger breasts because of his work environment? Now, the chapter titled House of Cards is a chapter that everyone needs to especially think about. This chapter points out all types of violence domestic, animal cruelty, the destruction of the Earth's environment throughout the world. The character Olivia is associated with that chapter, and she is battling the decision to remain with an abusive husband despite the fact that he has been diagnosed with breast cancer. She is battling domestic violence alone, but we as a country are battling many forms of violence, and... I'm going to quote a last statement of the ch this chapter. It's an eye-opener, and I don't think people should ignore it. A revolution from everyone is essential to cease all of the existing global violence. If this violence is ignored, life can become marginal for anybody. The successful end of violence on our planet depends on how the cards are dealt and who is allowed to hold the best hand to play the final trump card without allowing the world to self-destruct. I just think that's, a, that's an important statement that people need to really focus on right now. Well, tell us a little bit more why your book is unlike others on, the, uh, on this subject. The book is not solely about breast cancer. I do state some statistics that are from 2010, since 2011, statistics are not obviously available. And we are still desperately trying to find a cure and provide more resources to breast cancer victims and caregivers. But what I did is I chose a breast cancer support group forum primarily consisting of caregivers 
to bring to the reader's attention the controversial issues that our nation is battling. These are ongoing real-life issues that affect people with cancer and those that do not face cancer. I'm going to list just some of the issues discussed in the book, the effects of our economy, stem cell research and abortion, uh, the health care reform bill and its hidden obstacles, the lack of equality for all people regardless of age, gender, race, sexual preference, and social economic status. What about the idealism of materialism and perfectionism to obtain happiness? And then, of course, we've already mentioned global violence and then our current era of uh, fast technology. You know, in January of 2012 uh, marks the beginning of the year as we move into a major political campaigning for the presidential election and other seats that take place in November. These are controversial issues, and I and questions and issues that I think people in our nation should be demanding answers from our candidates and existing politicians prior to the election in November 2012. When and where does your story take place? There is no specific geographical area, and I purposely chose to eliminate a specific area so that the reader would focus more on the characters and their obstacles. The characters are a group of diversified people with different levels of education and backgrounds. I feel they represent real people with real problems and they could actually live right next door to any of us. Well, let's talk about some words that would best describe your book. Uh, tell us, uh, give us some, some mind-stretching kinds of words that would help us better understand. This was kind of a hard area for me to uh, just pick out one word, but some of the words that I think would be uh, very good to describe the book, empathetic. Naturally, if you're a breast cancer survivor or caregiver, you're going to be able to empathize with many of the characters dealing with breast cancer. Uh, Thought-provoking, another word, hyphenated. It encourages the reader to not control one's destiny due to judgment. Another word, uh, controversial. These are debatable issues that are mentioned in this book that tend to segregate people rather than integrate people, again, because we are judging one another. And I think regretful would be a great word to describe some of the characters because as they reveal their past decisions, they, they're discovering their past decisions have made their lives and lives of others marginal due to their ignorance. What would you say was the most challenging, challenging part about writing your book? The most challenging was writing the character known as the Observer. Uh, this is written in third person, and it encourages the reader, including myself as I wrote the book, to reevaluate life's options with a more broad-minded perspective. As you are introduced to the character, their health care issues, and fighting society's judgments. I think the most um, rewarding or fun part about writing this book is, as the reader will read the book, they, prior to the weekly support group meeting, a character meets with the observer to confide the character's challenges and regrets. 
as the character discusses private issues, it is very clear that the life of the character has become marginal, maybe due to past decisions, controversial issues, or obstacles created from even other characters in the group. It was very rewarding to write creative analogies to introduce the controversial issues while intertwining the characters and their similarities and their differences. I also had the opportunity to collaborate with a physician, Dr. James Vess, to bring to the forefront that not all of our health care issues affect just only patients and caregivers, but health care rules and regulations hinder many physicians in order to treat the patient successfully. And I think people need to realize that as well. We have time for some closing thoughts, Suze. Uh, share with us uh, just some final thoughts. I want to uh, briefly mention here the epilogue of the book prompts the reader to choose a character and to help the character overcome their challenges, whether their obst- obstacles are due to past decisions or their controversial issue that is currently making their lives marginal. So it is important that we start interacting with each other to make a positive difference in the world. So uh, my website is actually listed at the end of the book, and you can also contribute ideas on Facebook under Marginal Susie Worley Larkin. So I think that would be a very positive way for people to interact, address these controversial issues, Great suggestions for breast cancer survivors and caregivers and move forward in a direction that our nation needs right now. The title of the book, Marginal, and the author, Susie Worley Larkin. Suze, tell us how to get your book. Uh, You can purchase it on many different websites, Amazon.com. You can get it through iUniverse.com, the publishing company, as well as Barnes & Noble. If you just Google the book, Marginal, Susie Worley Larkin, it will pop up and take you to various resources. And it's also in a hard, go- uh, hard book copy, soft book copy, and e-reader as well. Well, thank you, Suze, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle, and sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Donna is a charismatic, market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio, plus your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Intracasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Intracastle, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. 
These are the words of Dr. Victor Frankel. The inspiration for the movie, Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection. With host, Mary Similuka. And frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things. And are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Kiss Her Goodbye, a Houston Cash novel. And the author is Harvey Burgess, and Harvey joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Harvey. How are you doing, Steve? Well, I am doing great, and great is this mystery. In fact, there are those who call it hard-boiled detective. I think that sums it up as you put it so well. <laughs> well, I want to read just a little bit about Kiss Her Goodbye so everyone understands uh, what we're going to discuss. Kiss Her Goodbye is the story of private detective Houston Cash, whose life changes when a beautiful woman walks through his door and begs him to find her stalker. That chance meeting leads to a whirlwind of action, mystery, death, and romance with an explosive ending even the most adept reader won't see coming. Boy, that is the key to a story like this, isn't it? Never know what hit them. That's right. <laughs> so how do you know so much about all of this detective work, Harvey? I think you have been one or you are one. Well, um, I actually it, I started at a very young age. I grew up in a police family. Uh, my father was a career police officer. And, uh, and of course, that means I grew up surrounded by uh, all manner of, of uh, in my opinion, good guys, the cops, and uh, uh, kind of carried that in my life uh, as, uh, uh, as a bellwether to, to who I was and what I wanted to be. And, uh, of course, my career took off in journalism, as it turned out, and uh, I, I started out as a sports reporter and then progressed into the crime and courts scene as a reporter. And uh, even through all of that, and I did that for several years, I thought uh, I had this thing tugging me saying, you want to be a cop, you want to be a cop. So I did take about a two-year break uh, in my career and was, in fact, a law enforcement officer. I was a sheriff's deputy with a uh, a somewhat small sheriff's department in eastern North Carolina. But uh, but I learned a lot. Uh, I already knew a lot from my upbringing, but you don't really learn the ropes, so to speak, until you pin that badge on. And when you pin that badge on, it's just like a lot of them say, that badge is, is very, very heavy and carries a lot of responsibility. And so I kind of learned that side of it, not just the outside of it looking in. So private detective Houston Cash, he's an ex-cop turned private investigator. 
He really doesn't expect his life to be extraordinary, but oh my goodness, extraordinary things. Why is it always extraordinary when the beautiful woman walks into the room? <laughs> Why is that? Well, it's um, uh, <laughs> you, I think you expect someone to come walking into the room like, like um, Sissy DeVore was this particular client. Uh, you look up at her and you think, okay, she's having trouble with a boyfriend or she's having trouble with her husband or she wants me to follow somebody and then she talks about being stalked and then you then you think okay well there might be more to this than meets the eye and then it sort of evolves from that uh it's uh uh an enigma wrapped in an enigma <laughs> tell us and of course the package the package is very nice right well it's always great to work for someone who is pretty to look at that's for sure oh yeah Tell us about a little bit more about Houston. Tell us about what makes him tick. Houston um, was a police officer, and uh, within police departments, as as within really truly everything, there's a there's a political structure, and sometimes uh, an individual can weather the political storm, and then sometimes they think, "Why am I weathering this political storm?" And that was his dilemma. So he said, you know what, I'm going to get out of this and just be my own boss. I can't think of a better boss to have than myself. And, of course, him being a career police officer at the time, he thought, I'm going to have to get into something related to that. And the most lucrative field in that, as far as how many people participate in it and the ease of participating in it, is, um, is private investigator. So he went out, went out and embarked on being a private investigator, but of course still kept his police connections because as any good PI knows, you've got to have those police connections. Well, is Houston flashy or is he just uh, down to earth, uh, you know, good old friend kind of guy? He's a very down to earth, laid back guy. He takes everything in stride. He uh, lives in the suburbs. Uh, he has a cat. He um, uh, drives kind of an old car and uh, uh, doesn't take life so seriously that he can't just kind of meander through it. And uh, he does the private investigation work, honestly, not for the money, but for the love of the fact that he's still involved. So here he is in the middle of two kidnappings of two prominent women. Mm Mm-hmm. And he finds a kind of joy in that, actually, because uh, naturally when you think of kidnapping, you think of the FBI and all this police involvement and everything. But because of the nature of what he gets drawn into, uh, those that are involved, the victims, uh, don't want uh, heavy-duty police involvement, as so many families do in actual kidnappings, quite frankly. And um, uh, so he's able to kind of deploy himself as this uh, almost um, uh, super sleuth uh, and do what other people perhaps can't do. Tell us about Aaron Drake, Houston's mentor. Aaron is an old, retired police officer, police detective, who was Aaron's mentor on the force and taught him all the ins and outs of of criminal investigation. And then when Aaron, when Aaron retired, uh, he landed a job at the local, at the largest bank uh, in town as chief of security. 
but stays in touch with the crime world or the investigating world almost vicariously through Houston. And he kind of looks at Houston like a son uh, and, uh, and, and helps him as much as he can along the way. And, of course, uh, it's a good resource for Houston because Aaron still has a lot of good, strong law enforcement ties in the community. And, of course, we have the kidnapper who nobody will be able to guess who he is. That's right. That, and we won't say anything much about him except he likes to use the Bible. Yes, indeed. So is that just uh, his, uh, uh, what's the word for the split personality? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's bipolar. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, the interesting twist to that is, of course, that the kidnapper somehow knows uh, that the televangelist's wife, who is also missing, uh, he, he kind of pushes the televangelist's buttons with his own personal knowledge of things biblical. And that kind of just adds a little interesting twist to the whole storyline. Now there's... Of course, this beautiful woman who, right at first, who comes and begs Houston to take her case, Sissy DeVore. Tell us about Sissy. Sissy is the second wife of the chief executive officer of the largest bank in town, which just happens to be one of the largest banks in the country. And um, she's, she was an employee of the bank, and when the boss's first wife died, he encountered Sissy and, of course, became immediately enamored of her. And she's kind of, she's quite naive and uh, uh, beautiful to a fault, though doesn't really, is one of those people who doesn't really know she's so beautiful. And um, uh, she sort of meanders through life kind of under this pall of being uh, the biggest CEO in town's wife and, um, and has to deal with that. And when she suspects that she is being stalked, she, of course, immediately goes to Aaron, who's the chief of security at the bank, and says, you know, who would I go to to help me find who's stalking me? And that's where the adventure begins. One of the key messages that you have in the book, uh, things aren't always what they seem, especially when it comes down to certain types of people. And, of course, that's yes. what makes your mystery uh, tick and, and really grabs people and holds their interest. And it's, for instance, uh, there is, uh, there, there's, a, there's a small sort of mob connection with one of the characters uh, who at one time or another in his shadowy life was a mob enforcer. In the book, Kiss Her Goodbye, you get to know him a little better and find out he's a surprisingly articulate, kind of funny guy. Um, you find out that, um, that the women in the book aren't always exactly what they seem. And certainly, without giving anything away, uh, the, the prime villain himself is probably the largest example of not being what he seems to be. And the reader will find out uh, about halfway through the book, we'll get an, a remarkable revelation that changes the whole course of the story. Of course, in today's high-tech world, TV shows all about DNA research and fancy computers and all kinds of high-tech uh, weapons and everything else, but yours 
your story just hinges on plain old work and persistence. That's exactly right. Houston kind of eschews the uh, modern technology. It's all he can do to carry a cell phone. He's not into apps and texting and I this and I that because he knows basically that when it comes to criminal investigation, no matter what kind of material you have, it boils down to the gut feeling. It boils down to the basic investigation. And, uh, and, and I personally find that kind of intriguing about him. And, and having been around law enforcement for most of my adult life and being a part of it myself, I, I know that to be true. Uh, no matter how uh, high-tech things can get, it comes down to instinct, even in, the, even in today's cop shows. Uh, you'll notice that they'll use some kind of fancy stuff. Uh, let's say Hawaii Five-O. They use all these really fancy computerized things. But bottom line, the case isn't solved until somebody gets a gut feeling and pursues it, and boom, the case is solved. And you write, you'll find yourself rooting for Houston from the get-go, and when things get rough, he's the kind of guy you want to have in your corner. Absolutely. If he is on your side, he is on your side. Uh, there are times in Kiss Her Goodbye when he has some little doubts about things that he's being told and whether they're true, but ultimately he gets to the root of the problem and kind of barrels through it like the kind of guy he is and becomes kind of the, the, the pillar uh, of, of the whole story, of course, and uh, people end up admiring him for that and realizing just what a rock-solid guy this is. After so many years as a journalist, of course, just reporting the facts, uh, the focus on the facts, how hard was it to do fiction? It was really kind of easy because what you do with fiction and what most people do with fiction is take facts and manipulate them and, uh, and, and make them do what you want them to do rather than them creating their own realities. And uh, it's, quite frankly, when I first started writing fiction, and the first fiction I wrote was in the seventh grade, um, I, I, I used it as an es escape. Um, I, of course, um, you remember, I don't know if you're, if you're old enough to remember Jack Webb. Of course. But, uh, but he was a kind of just-the-facts kind of guy. And... Uh, and you can take the facts about anything and massage them and make quite an interesting adventure, if you'd like. And, it's, and then it does provide that escape. And that's what I wrote fiction for for many, many years. It was just a, just a personal escape. I would come home after a day of being a hard-nosed reporter and sit behind then my typewriter and later this blessed screen <laughs> And uh, and and just kind of go off on an adventure. I would shut I would shuck all that had happened that day, and uh, and just create my own reality, if it as it were, uh, and and kind of kind of go off on an adventure. And it was just loads of fun. And then I decided at some point in recently in my career, you know, I could probably share this with people, and they might actually enjoy it. And you've patterned most of your characters from people you've known or dealt with in your professional life as a reporter. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, probably I have known at some time or another or been around or observed 
people who uh, molded every character in this story. The title of the book, Kiss Her Goodbye, a Houston Cash novel, and the author is Harvey Burgess. Harvey, tell us how to get your book. Well, right now you can get it, of course, at iUniverse.com. You can also get it um, on Amazon.com and uh, BarnesandNoble.com. It's available in Kindle. And and also I have a website, uh, www.HarveyBurgess.com, where you can also go and um and and well thank you harvey thanks for being with us on iUniverse radio i it has been an absolute pleasure we ought to do it again you're listening to iUniverse radio we'll be back right after these messages how to invest where to invest where to save where to get the right insurance what to do about taxes should i relocate my business or ever purchase a property that's where go to my radio show comes in join host chris holt tuesday afternoons at one pacific three central on go to my choose the right financial professional and learn more about the products and services while learning the terminology and strategies used by these professionals go to my radio show is unbiased and chris holt your host will ask the hard questions and take calls to help you connect with the right professional who can help you better handle your financial and business choices. Go to My Radio Show is not a financial services company and does not offer any financial advice, but we will help you make the right choice when it comes to planning your financial future. And most of all, choosing the right program and the right professional for you. Go to My Radio Show with Chris Holt, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central on GoToMyRadioShow.com. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamaminihats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book Planning Your Marriage, a workbook guide for engaged and married couples. And the author is Paul E. Sago, and Paul joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Paul. Good to be with you, Steve. We are going to learn not only as engaged couples, but married couples. I I love that because there's always something more to learn about being a better spouse, and it looks like you have a a workbook guide to help us do exactly that. Let me read what you have written about your book in general. You say this, planning your marriage is just that, the outline for a plan. Marriages do not just happen. It's important to think beyond the wedding, to learn the expectations of your partner, and to express yours. 
Usually, during the excitement of the engagement, very little attention is given to the marriage, to problems of relationship, home building, financial matters, and children. And of course, ways to nourish the marriage. Well, through your professional life, uh, and I know you have a uh, doctorate in, in counseling and, and other communications, right? Yes, I do. I, my doctorate is in psychology, and I spent uh, about 50 years in the business of Christian higher education. And so I was very close to the students in my institution. I counsel with quite a few of them as a father figure because they were away from home. And sadly, I saw a lot of them go into emotional relationships and fail. So much attention, as you point out, is given to the marriage, to the actual event. And especially young people don't see beyond that. They're just excited to be with each other, to take this big step and, and you know, live happily ever after. Well, yes, I think every young woman uh, from the time she's probably four or five years old begins to be uh, a flower girl in someone's wedding, and they look forward to that as the grandest day of their life and sort of the kickoff that makes the game all complete. But it doesn't. It just doesn't. I write in another place in my book, if you permit me, I say marriages are not made in heaven. Sex will not solve all your problems. Romantic feelings are not a dependable emotion, and money may not make things better. And sadly, young couples find that out the hard way. Well, as one person who has read your book said, uh, in fact, a married woman in her 50s said, there should be a state law requiring every couple to read this book before they get married. Now that's, that's about, what a great what a great uh, testimony to your book. That thrilled me when she said that, and she's not just any lady. She's a very well educated, very brilliant lady who's in uh, in business and meets lots of people daily. So to have her say something like that meant a lot to me. So this is a workbook. Uh, you're you're going to take us step-by-step to help us just to be a better spouse, to have a better marriage? Well, yes. The first thing one has to do, there are 70 questions in this book, and there's a, they're meant to be discussed by the bride and the groom together, or the husband and wife, or even non-traditional couples that may be together. It'll work in any relationship. And you talk about each of these 70 questions, and I'll mention just a few of them. And uh, the bride gives her opinion, the groom gives his answer, and then if there's any negotiation, that get, gets written down too. And so it becomes a, a memento book of how you felt when you were getting ready to enter this great adventure. And it sometimes is a bit amusing, but always helpful when you're about 10 years into that adventure, to go back and look. For instance, let me give you the very first question, which people sort of chuckle at at first, and then they find out it's very meaningful. The first question is, why do you wish to marry this person? The response, because I love him or her, is not acceptable. (laughs) There are many men and women among your acquaintances, perhaps several of them you have dated previously, exactly 
Why do you wish to marry this one? Tell your partner the things about him or her that you find attractive. Mannerisms, habits, honesty, dependability, positive nature, and perhaps even some little egocentrics. And um, the very act of verbalizing these attractions may bring you closer. Well, so much emphasis is put on the way a person looks, uh, obviously uh, money, uh, you know, the, the, those, those things that you see in, on TV or in the movies. That seems to be the focus most of the time today. Yes, uh, the husband comes home from work and the bride is in an evening dress, meets him at the door, sleeps him away to a candlelight dinner that she spent all day preparing. There's no crying of children in the background, no disappointments, nothing about bills to be paid, mortgages to be met, or foreclosures, and it's not a very realistic picture. Now, in Chapter 2, it's titled Effective Communication. You make a very bold promise. I promise that if people will abide by these communication techniques, five of them, it is impossible to have an argument. Now, I will give you the bottom line first, and then we will go back and, if you wish, we can talk about these, each of these five techniques. The bottom line is, if you wish to have a good relationship, you with your wife, or me with mine, or any of those people who may be listening, if you want a good relationship, You will talk to each other about your deepest feelings. Let me say that again. The important word is feeling, not facts. You can argue about facts, but everyone has a right to their feelings, and feelings are neither right nor wrong. They're yours. I have often told couples in counseling that my wife can I, and I can be sitting in the same room watching TV. I may think the TV is too loud, and she may think the TV is not loud enough. Neither one of us are wrong as factually. We just feel differently about the, the, the sound. And uh, same can be with temperature in the room. I can feel it's too hot. She can feel it's too cold. We would never argue about something like that because facts are insignificant. It's how we feel that counts. And, therefore, it's how we feel about events that bring us together and keep us together that count there. Would you, Steve, would you like me to go through those five? Well, I think you could mention them in general. We don't want to go into too okay. much specifics. There's some other things we need to cover. But, yeah, why don't you just mention those for everyone? Well, There are just five things, and they're all very important, and I will go very quickly through them. The couple sits down at a table across from each other so they can look directly into each other's eyes. That's very important. To sit is very important because standing is aggressive. Most couples that argue, one is by the door leading out of the room, the other is in the middle of the room, and they're standing. It's aggressive. So sit. And if you're going to talk about something that bugs you or is a something that brings up negative attitudes, sitting is the first rule. 
And then you start the conversation. Perhaps if you and your wife were doing this, Steve, you would say to your wife, honey, may I tell you how I feel about our vacation plans? And you're asking her permission. May I tell you how I feel? She would say yes, so she has granted permission. So she is obligated to hear how you feel. No facts, just feelings. No calling up the past, just how you feel now. So you tell her how you feel very honestly. And then, after you state your feelings, she would say to you, may I tell you now how I feel about it? I understand your feelings. May I tell you how I feel? Now, no facts, never stand, never a loud voice. Because loud voices indicate distance. You yell at someone across the street. You don't yell at someone who's sitting across the table. And the fifth rule is you discuss only the subject at hand and talk only about the immediate and the future and feelings. So I say to my wife, honey, can I tell you how I feel about going shopping today? And she will say, sure. I'll say, I'm really not into that mood today. I don't feel we should take our time to do that. Then she may say, well, I feel it's sort of necessary. Then we negotiate, but we don't argue. And this can get into sexual problems, financial problems, or any kind of problems that married couples face. And it can certainly help solve in-law problems, which are very common. Some of your other chapters are titled Building a Home, Domestic Matters, Financial Matters, When Children Come, Religion, The Second Marriage, uh, Nurturing the Marriage. Uh, You also talk about the role of for the husband and the wife the role now explain what you mean well ever since colonial days in new england and uh, the pilgrims or the uh, first settlers whomever they had political and historical disagreements on that now but the first people here sort of were in a traditional rut that they brought from the old country the woman stays in the cabin And for the most part, she cooks pregnant and barefooted and cleans the house. The man takes his gun and goes out and shoots things and drags them home in order that they might have food on the table and something for her to cook. Uh, Most of the women in those days didn't go fishing, but their husband went fishing. The women cleaned the fish. The husband shot a duck. The woman cleaned the duck and cooked it. There were feminine roles and masculine roles. And the masculine side got off pretty easy, particularly before there was an organized job market. More recently, young couple gets to marry, get married, a child comes, suddenly this young mother, young lady is a new mother with a crying baby and a house to clean and, and food to cook and bills to pay. And the husband gets up in the morning The baby is crying. He can't wait to get to the office where things are quiet. And when he comes home, he thinks supper should be prepared and everything should be quiet because he's had a hard day. I have seen these kind of situations wreck marriage after marriage. 
So I'm convinced that we should kick out a lot of those of those rules rules that we have taken for granted. For instance, my wife and I are now both retired, uh, and we live at home all the time by ourselves. We only have one car, so we go every place by ourselves. But when we get up in the morning, she goes to the kitchen and makes the coffee. I make the bed. We both sit down and have our coffee and the rolls that she has baked the day before, and we enjoy it a great deal. Then I clean the coffee pot and the coffee foamer and the few dishes we have while she checks out our messages on the computer. And we are happy as happy can be. Now, a second marriage, are the rules still the same, the problems still the same? Uh, sometimes they're worse because most people make the same mistake twice, unfortunately. Uh, we should learn, but we don't. And a lot of the problems in marriage are, of course, caused by finances, by sexual differences, by uh, by finances. Uh, they're caused by in-laws and um, if people do not learn how to talk about their feelings related to those matters without arguing and fighting, it doesn't make any difference whether it's a second one, third one, fourth one, or a 72-hour one, 72 days, as I guess it was. Uh, marriages can end very quickly. So the key is communication, communicating your feelings. Exactly. In, in real estate, you talk to any trained experienced real estate person they will tell you there are is one word you use three times and every real estate agent says this over and over it's location 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 in marriage it's communication 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 and there is a way to do it and that is when my advice to sit down look into each other's eyes have something in your hands so you don't tend to wave. You don't wave if you have coffee, of course, or a drink. Ask permission to state your feelings. Be honest. Hear your partner's feelings. And then negotiate after knowing how each of you deeply feel. And it works. The title of the book, Planning Your Marriage, a workbook guide for engaged and married couples. And the author is Paul E. Sago. Paul, tell us how to get your book. Well, you can go online, of course. It's on on email, on, on the normal sources. It's in a couple of million outlets. You can, If your local bookstore does not have it, you can uh, ask them to order it for you. Or you can uh, send me uh, an email at Sago, S-A-G-O-P-D. That stands for Paul and Donna, Sago, P-D at att.net. The cost is uh, $11.95 plus postings and handling, so it comes to about 13 something. Well, thank you, Paul. Thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. It was my pleasure. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.